Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies. And today, we've got something very special. This is one we've been planning for a bit. Um, a few years ago, I think it was back in what we were calling our first season, but those aren't uh, those those don't have like clear delineators all the time. We did Apocalypse Now. We talked about the Francis Ford Coppola movie starring Martin Sheen and Marlon Brando. And it was one of our longer episodes, but for that one, uh, we, we prepared a lot. We did, uh, we watched that movie. We probably watched, like, between us, you know, 20 hours of Apocalypse Now content. Well, you know, Apocalypse Now, the movie, the different cuts, and also the documentary leading up to it. Uh, this is a movie that we wanted to cover for similar reasons, that has similar behind-the-scenes stuff going on, that... We were really excited about t- doing, and for this, we also went and we watched whatever we could about it and came back to summarize our thoughts. Today, we're going to talk about a movie starring Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer, The Island of Dr. Moreau from 1996. Now, if you've heard of this movie, it is more likely that you've heard of the behind the scenes drama than the actual movie, I would say. Um,. This movie very famously had a extremely troubled development cycle and was briefly is is one of the movies that at least briefly was considered one of the worst of all time, which is almost always a false statement because the actual worst movies of all time just probably wouldn't get released. But I digress. Uh, we want to talk today a little bit about Richard Stanley. We want to talk about uh, Val Kilmer, we want to talk about Marlon Brando, and more than anything, we want to talk about the story of The Island of Dr. Moreau. One thing we were not able to mention in this, because I only discovered this factoid while the episode was going on, uh, Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, actually voices the trailer for this movie. And since this is a bigger, longer episode, I'm going to play that trailer for you right now so you can get a little bit of uh, Peter Cullen's uh, sultry voice in your ear holes. On the sixth day, God created man. On the seventh day, he rested. And on the eighth day, in the year 2010, in a remote laboratory, an exiled scientist created something impossible, unmistakably human, undeniably animal, on the island of Dr. Moreau. I'd like to present my children. Father? Oh, my God. From director John Frankenheimer, H.G. Wells' most terrifying creation about the line that separates man from beast and the notorious doctor who dared to cross it. We are men. 
Because the Father has made us men. Marlon Brando. Val Kilmer. David Thewlis. The Island of Dr. Moreau. Directed by John Frankenheimer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Classic Movies Live, uh, the podcast where we watch live. No, see, I can't even remember it. I'm just on autopilot. The the show where we talk about classic movies. No, the latest movies in a recorded format. There you go. So here's but, the magic. The uh, You're getting a little behind the scenes right now, dear listeners. So the fun part about the intro is that I never have any idea what I'm going to say. Oh, I am always mind, okay. under, I am always under so much pressure and I'm always t- terrified out of my mind to say something, but I just let words fall out. Okay. So I'll do something like, welcome back to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about Marlon Brando, but not that often, oh. only twice. See, that's a lot better. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, we are talking about Marlon Brando because he was in, uh, another movie that was, that probably had the worst behind the scenes of any movie I've ever heard of, except for Apocalypse Now. Um, I think Apocalypse Now is still worse. It's, it's interesting though, because like, is Apocalypse Now worse? Apocalypse Now has a lot of behind the scenes drama and that behind the scenes is... It definitely does make you question at a certain point whether the movie was even worth it. However, having seen that movie many times, it was. It was, it was very, it, yeah. very worth it. And this movie that we're about to talk about had a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. And um, I, I guess it, I guess it's enough behind-the-scenes stuff to make you think, was this movie worth it again? <laughs> yeah, well, I... I, I, I'd say, okay, Apocalypse Now. Well, just for context, we're talking about The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is a 1996 movie uh, starring Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer and David Thewlis, actually, which I don't know. He's always great in everything I see him in. Um, I don't know about yeah, this was, movie. <laughs> I was very happy to see him there. I was like, oh, yeah. a familiar face. And I, and I haven't heard about him specifically in the context of behind-the-scenes drama. So I'll bet he's yeah. fine. Honestly, like... like He's fine. Considering he was technically the star of the movie, I and I basically heard nothing about him in the behind the scenes documentary. So like I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing of like, did he do anything? <laughs> like um anyways, the these are it's a movie that had a catastrophic uh making of and it also had a documentary that talked about the making of that movie, which I would argue is much better than the movie because the story behind making the movie is actually like hilarious. Um, I'd say Apocalypse Now is like you like you said it was worth it. I'd say it was worth worse because it sounded like everyone genuinely suffered. There was they were there for a year. Uh, Martin Sheen had a heart attack and almost died. What else happened? Francis Ford Coppola was like on the verge of bankruptcy, and he had to like put his house and car on the line like it was a very intense shoot and they were there they were in i'll say it was uh indonesia for a year basically on and off it was i want to say it was the philippines the philippines yeah it was the philippines but a better movie came out so in the end it was kind of a success story whereas the island of dr moreau from what i can tell is equally crazy but the stuff that happened was just really stupid and like (laughs) 
like like silly and it sounds like honestly to me it sounds like what you would see in like one of those really bad frat movies or something like this sounds like if van wilder was like a movie production movie stars just being divas for absolutely no reason um actually no i i compare it more to tropic thunder tropic thunder actually it feels like a balance between it's like they were spoofing the making of apocalypse now but also a lot of the actual elements came from the island of dr moreau where you have these diva stars you have a director that doesn't know what the hell he's doing you have a lot of like well yeah I, a lot of changes in directors and like the crew is i guess there's not much crew stuff in tropic thunder but the crew in the island of dr moreau was just partying and having a good time because <laughs> actually no one was doing anything on, on the note of directors i think what's really interesting and we'll talk about it about the island of dr moreau is you have two directors that don't know what the hell they're doing for different yeah. reasons <laughs> yeah um but the linking factor is marlon brando is in both of these movies and he was paid an obscene amount of money for not really doing anything <laughs> but also kind of putting in great perform. I actually liked him in the Alan of Dr. Moreau personally. We'll talk about that more later, but mm. like he, he makes it work, which is, I guess, a testament to his legend as an actor. I guess you don't agree. With that, well, no, actually anyway. like I think I have complicated feelings on, Mar on Marlon Brando in this movie. I actually like hated a little bit how mm. excellent he is in this movie he's he's okay. the behind the scenes makes him seem like such an asshole on set and yeah. he's so effortlessly charismatic in his role yeah. but i don't think it's i don't think it's like a hundred percent a perfect role or anything i think there are some mm -hmm. very very clear <clears throat> issues with his performance in the in the movie that don't make it a bad performance but uh, what's interesting is I think it's a good performance in a different movie than the one he's yeah. in. Yeah, there is something there. It's like they they teleported one of the world's best actors into the one of the world's shittiest movies. And that's oh. literally what happened. So, so you know. Um, but yeah, so do you want to... I guess I picked the movie, so should I summarize it? I feel bad making you summarize it because... I think that what you should hell? summarize the accompanying documentary, which is okay. way harder to summarize. Okay, you, you go first then. for. The so, The Island of Dr. Moreau, this is a book I've always wanted to read, but I've just never gotten around to. It's originally a book by H.G. Wells, and it is about a... I'm going to talk about... When I say it's about... When I say what it's about, I'm going to talk about the movie, because the movie does change a lot of the details from the book. It sets it in a more modern setting. Uh, for the time, which is 1996. Uh, so it's about a, I want to say he's a Marine. He's some kind of sailor, David Thewlis, who, uh, whose boat goes down and there's three survivors in like a lifeboat. And he ends up being the only survivor from that lifeboat and gets picked up to take and taken to a small Island somewhere in Indonesia uh, owned by a Dr. Moreau. And Dr. Moreau, I thought originally this was a twist, and I just knew it because it's a famous book. It's very early on, actually. Dr. Moreau is involved in uh, creating human-animal hybrids. So this movie is about life on the island with the human-animal hybrids. 
And basically those human-animal hybrids over the course of the movie taking over the island, essentially. Yeah. That's that's the basics of it. Along the way, like, I think that the themes of the story are like Dr. Moreau's hubris and playing God. These are the, Those are the elements that, like, clearly inspired, you know, the big Dr. Moreau movie that happened in our lifetimes, Spy Kids 2, The Island of Lost Dreams. Um, and then also there's... There's Val Kilmer, who is not, who's playing a character who is not a uh, half animal, half person. He's the other biologist who is like a hotshot biologist who kind of thinks he can do what Dr. Moreau does better a little bit. Like he's got his own thoughts, but he he clearly would rather be in charge. Um, and then David Thule is trying to get off of the island. So like a lot of the themes are, you know, playing God, what happens when you create a society, a society like that exists to be subservient and also just a society developing from the ground up. According to, you know, within the movie, Dr. Moreau has been working on this for 17 years. So no one on this Island is older than 17 and they have an entire society with laws and like a philosophical code and everything. It's the themes of the story are interesting. I think that that's more on H.G. Wells than on most of the people in this movie. But the themes are really interesting. Yeah. Okay, I, this is a little early to say, but honestly, this this felt, felt very inspired. No, Guardians of the Galaxy felt very inspired by this movie, or Volume 3, because the, the villain is literally Dr. Moreau. But now, literally, actually, honestly, literally Dr. Moreau. Like, <laughs> you can't yeah. even, except I guess he's more psychopathic. Um, but you could argue if Dr. Moreau was also a, a God amongst like, like he owned a spaceship and, and multiple planets, then maybe he would be doing the same thing. I don't know. I would actually argue that played by just about anyone other than Marlon Brando, a Dr. Moreau would also have been more psychopathic. Yeah, that's true. I, I think Marlon Brando brought like a very grounded, I mean, he just speaks so intelligently and like he seems so calm and like and like oddly like compassionate. I'm that... I'm not going to be very kind to Marlon Brando in this episode. You said he <laughs> you said he brings a more grounded take to it. I think he brought a take on the character that implies he did not read anything related to this movie. Well, he he and did. Like, yeah, he clearly <laughs> didn't. He I think that he brings a take to this character that is what he thinks it should be based on the title, the doctor, the Island of Dr. Moreau and what yeah. he might remember from grade school. Like <laughs> he wants Dr. Moreau to be compassionate because he's like, I would like to play a compassionate character. And someone also, I remember hearing in the documentary, someone had pitched this idea to this role to him as, and had mentioned in his, in his pitch somewhere, Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. And yeah. so Marlon Brando brought the same energy he brought for Kurtz to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't... Well, I mean, he's he was definitely in a different stage in his life where he could basically do whatever the hell he wanted. Mm -hmm. um, which I kind of... I mean, okay. I think I think part of my bias is that I, I'm not familiar with the, the source material at all. Um, and also I, I watched the documentary before I watched the movie because I was kind of dreading watching the movie because it just sounded terrible. So I really wanted to be able to watch the movie with the added context of, I knew what was happening behind the scenes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be why it's just like, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll go through the documentary quickly. It's basically the story. It's called Lost Souls, the Lost Souls, the Journey, Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. So Richard Stanley is the original director. Um, he was also the writer that brought this to, to New Line at the time in the 90s and really pushed for this movie to be made. And it's about the tragedy of his movie, essentially, because he's a very seems very compassionate about the source material. Um, but he was coming from a place where he wasn't a very established uh, director. So um, there was a lot of conflict with the studio on whether he'd be able to be in the movie. So at first he wasn't. And Roman Polanski was assigned to direct the movie, which honestly is like kind of crazy to think about that, you know, he was attached to that. Um, and Marlon Brando was attached to Star. And and then oddly enough, half wait, what happens next is the director says he performed some witchcraft with his friend on a meeting because he was he was gonna meet with Marlon Brando and Marlon Brando and the studio was like, okay, Marlon Brando is going to hate him. He's just going to make a joke out of himself. But we're just going to do this out of pity. Give him a meeting with Marlon Brando. And then somehow the studio exec that he's with falls asleep. And when she wakes up, Marlon Brando is obsessed with Richard Stanley and is like, I will only be in this movie if Richard Stanley directs. Because not even Richard Stanley knows how he convinced Marlon Brando to let him direct the movie um, in hindsight. So... So then they, so Richard Stanley becomes the director and then they bring in Val Kilmer and David Thewlis, et cetera. Um, and then things kind of get shifty once, I think Marlon Brando's daughter passes away and um, from, I think it was suicide, right? I and, believe so. Uh, which is unfortunate, but um, that really sh- shook faith in Richard Stanley's directing abilities because without Marlon Brando's cosign, because Marlon Brando wasn't showing up to set and they weren't sure if he'd be in the movie. Richard Stanley had no real power against the studio. Mm. Um, and then a couple weeks in, Richard Stanley loses his job because he can't control his directors or his actors um, and no one really respects him. And apparently, I think he had like a lot of anxiety or he wasn't used to directing, so he wouldn't actually interact with the crew much. And apparently he'd just be in his house a lot. This was both the biggest picture he would have ever directed and also it would have been his first Hollywood feature. Mm. So as much yeah. as he was a director with more than one movie under his belt, I think he had two at that point, he yeah. was essentially unfamiliar <laughs> with the system he was working in because he had done like small British indie movies. Yeah, he was in a tough position. So and then Val Kilmer apparently is a huge dick. <laughs> was just messing with him the whole time. And uh, yeah, so so he wouldn't direct. He wouldn't really direct. Um, apparently, there were times actors would just be on on screen, like being filmed, and they literally didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. So they just kind of have to improvise. So he got kicked off, and then apparently he wandered into the woods, and no one found him. Uh, <laughs> apparently, he was like, yeah, he was camping downriver, and like I think it's implied he was spying on the production. And he was found by some extras partying in the woods or something like that during the movie shoot. And then they brought him back and they helped him spy on the... Because he, apparently he wasn't legally allowed to be on set after he was fired. Mm-hmm. So they disguised him as a dog man. 
and he hid on set for an extended period of time and he never took his mask off, even though it was really hot and those masks apparently were very bad to wear. Um, and then Marlon Brando came and he kind of made a whole fiasco about uh, just kind of working whenever he felt like working and uh, basically rewriting, redoing large parts of the movie uh, just on a whim. Like I think one actor in the movie said he lost his role because Marlon Brando found, um, I can't remember, I don't know the character's name, but there was a, a very small person on that island who was an extra that I think was Marlon Brando was like, I like this guy. He's going to be my assistant in the movie now. And this one guy lost his job because of that. <laughs> and also I think wasn't the, he was dressed in white or he had white, a white powdered face. Anytime he was outside that that's something he brought just cause he felt like it. Right. I think. Yeah. That is something yeah. that he supposedly brought to the production. Yeah. So anyways, long story short, a very messy production. We'll get into it, but Unfortunately, Richard Stanley uh, was not able to direct the movie he wanted to make, essentially. Yeah, and I'm just realizing this. We're going to, we're obviously going to, our, our main sources for this episode are the movie itself and Lost Souls, which is the Richard, the, which, the Richard Stanley documentary that is very sympathetic to Richard Stanley. And I think that, based on the other stuff I have also looked at for this movie, I'm going to probably be very sympathetic to Richard Stanley in this movie. But I do have to say, I watched three movies in preparation for this. I watched The Island of Dr. Moreau, the Richard Stanley documentary, and the Val Kilmer documentary Val from last year. And what the Val Kilmer documentary specifically made me realize uh, just really drove home for me more than most documentaries, even though I've seen this in other documentaries, is, uh, I mean, all documentaries are going to be biased. The Val Kilmer documentary is Val Kilmer in his own words. It is extremely sappy and very sympathetic towards Val Kilmer. I do have to say that, like, after watching that, I was like, is the Lost Souls documentary maybe, how, how biased is it towards Richard Stanley? Or, or more importantly, it's definitely biased towards Richard Stanley. How biased is it away from the truth? So I think the actual truth of this whole production probably lies somewhere just out of reach of all of these for what yeah. it's worth. I, I don't know if I want to know the full truth, honestly. <laughs> no, fair. it seems like it would be way too much. Like, it's just, yeah. it's just too much to talk about. It's, it's messy. Um, but yeah, I, I guess first... I just, I'm really excited. I want to talk about Marlon Brando. I think everything I've heard about this man is like, like, it's like everyone probably has a Marlon Brando story because this man is just seems like an enigma. I mean, everything I think after the Godfather sounds like he just went full diva and he just kind of did whatever he wanted, which I love, but also like if I was a director, it would probably be an absolute nightmare. Someone in Lost Souls says, uh, I think it's one of the producers, says that Marlon Brando brought his legendary contempt for his chosen career to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, based on the two movies we've reviewed on this show, there is nothing Marlon Brando likes less than acting. Like, he's yeah. good at it, 
but he doesn't want to be in it. Well, maybe not acting. I don't know about acting so much, but there's nothing he likes less than being in on a movie set. If he can yeah. not be on that <laughs> movie set for any amount of time, he'll do that instead. Yeah. Or he'll, even when he's on the movie set, he will find every way he can procrastinate actually acting by discussing the role in every way possible before shooting. Which is really funny too. I or actually, I don't know if that happened in this movie, but that definitely happened in Apocalypse Now. I think in this movie, it sounds like he just wouldn't leave his trailer a lot of the time, so it's just this really is... up in the air whether Marlon Brando would would like come out and like act that day, and no one could say anything because he was the only reason that movie was greenlighted and the only chance it had to make money. This is kind of a cool part. Like one of the things that um, I was really hoping I would get out of rewatching Val, and I'm very glad I did, is different perspectives on Marlon Brando on set. Because uh, most of the producers said some uh, in Lost Souls said something to the effect of Marlon Brando came on set and he had all these ideas that implied that he clearly hadn't read the script and all of his ideas were stupid. We bent over backwards to like make them happen because he's Marlon Brando, but no one left there a Marlon Brando fan. And in the Val Kilmer documentary, his same uh, Val Kilmer's same perception of those events was Marlon Brando came on set, but he quickly realized that John Frankenheimer wouldn't take any of his acting advice. So he stopped trying. And I'm like, it sounds like he stopped trying before he started, actually. Yeah, I don't like, I don't want to say it because it's, it's what he's doing is like so pretentious and like, obviously it's terrible, but also like, after seeing some of the things he like offered to the movie, I'm just kind of like, that's insane, but I, I love it at the same time. Like, Marlon Brando creates a very distinct character with <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Moreau. Yeah. And he did the same thing in Apocalypse Now, you know, like, um, which is just so, it's like, you want to hate the process, but like, at least in the two instances I've heard where he's just like a, a complete dick and like, doesn't want to work at all it actually works and i don't know why i don't know how but like literally like i love how the apocalypse now story of how he he shows up overweight and coppola's like no i can work with i can work with this i'll just make him like he's he's uh he's become a king and he's like he's 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 large because you know he's um he's too rich to uh to really care about his weight anymore you know like he has too much power and then marlon brando's like no i don't want people to think i'm fat so i want you to shoot me as if i'm imposing <laughs> and just hide my body which is just so but then it worked you know like he made it so difficult and it worked and then in this it's just like like the stuff with the the white like he just shows up on set and apparently he was like i want to wearing like white powder on his face like i want to wear white powder on my face when i'm outside and then apparently he was like, I want peacock feathers behind me. So then a guy hunted down a peacock <laughs> that day to get Marlon Brando his feathers. And that's that kind of sounds like Marlon Brando was like, I don't want to work today. So I'm just going to give them some like stupid shit to like to find for me um, to delay working as much as possible. But then like I thought that was like a genuinely interesting aspect of the character, you know, like I don't know why it was there and it didn't make any sense. 
but it added it added like some flavor to it. I don't know. And his Moreau has this thing where he's always hot. And that's not part of the book. It's not part of the story. It's not part of anything. It's just he came on set and was like, I think my guy is always just a little bit bothered by the heat. And that became, that's that's a main part of his character. And it leads to some, I don't want to say iconic moments, but definitely like big character moments. Like when he first comes out, his entire getup is inspired by the fact that he's he's not dealing too well with the heat and then yeah. later on he wears a bucket on his head that has ice in it that no one understood <laughs> but like it's it's a very weird looking moment that you don't forget easily yeah it's just it's so funny i don't know same thing with uh the the mini me version of him playing piano and then he has the the mini guy playing piano mm-hmm. on top of his piano which is spoofed heavily in Austin Powers, but I didn't know it. It seems like it came very directly from Dr. Moreau. Yeah, I thought that one of the coolest things in the Lost Souls documentary was when someone pointed out that Marlon Brando said, the only thing people are going to remember from this movie is this man and pointed to the like very tiny man. And wouldn't you know it, It's the, he's the most influential part of this movie. Yeah, no, he's extremely memorable and you're just... Cause it's just, it's not, I don't think it's really explained. It's just there. You're just like, what is this character, you know? Um, uh, but it works, you know? And it's like, it's, it's obvious. It's like, I mean, with how Austin Powers spoofed it, it's, it's definitely become a very like a uh, pop culture icon-esque thing. And if, if the movie was more widely watched, I think people would think of that first before Austin Powers. But fortunately, uh, Austin Powers was, more popular than the island of dr moreau so everyone remembers mini me instead yeah that's the thing he's like he wasn't wrong and in the documentary the the guy talks about how like that was his role he was just the assistant to dr moreau and marlon brando was just straight up like i don't i want this guy to be my assistant and then that guy just lost his job (laughs) well i mean he's still in the movie he's just not a big role i mean yeah exactly kind of is but like the role doesn't feel like it means very it was reduced heavily yeah i'd say from what it sounds like maybe he was exaggerating but um yeah i don't know but like again that worked and uh you know say what you will about marlon brando but um i think i think everything i've heard about him is like hilarious and funny and obviously it's it's kind of tragic that like i don't know maybe he was acting so so weirdly in the sense because he was dealing with the grief from losing his daughter which is important to keep in mind. Um, but from it, I can tell it's he was always like that and um, maybe a little more extreme now after what happened. But it's, it's hard to tell. Also, also just his, um, like him switching from Roman Polanski to loving Richard Stanley, I thought was really funny too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, and- I know that, I know that Roman Polanski's actual bread and butter in, in his early film filmography is horror movies but uh i cannot think of him as a horror director and maybe maybe part of that is because i haven't watched that much roman polanski because i don't like him that much but uh i i cannot think of him as a horror director and like taking this from a taking this from an independent like an interesting independent up-and-coming horror talent 
to Roman Polanski seems like such a stupid idea, honestly. Yeah, I I like the idea of Marlon Brando sticking up for the little guy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows, maybe, you know, again, if his daughter didn't pass away, he would have been a lot more um, involved in the process of the movie. Um, Marlon Brando sticking up for the little guy. Nice. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I guess literally in a lot of senses. But yeah, I don't know. It's like you can hate his work ethic, but it's it's quite I, I think he's definitely one of the most interesting actors um, I've ever heard of. And also, um, I guess I, I kind of like. I kind of like how he hates acting like because I, I hate actors that are like really pretentious about it, which is ironic because I'd say the way he works is very pretentious. But also, I think it seems pretentious just because he just doesn't want to work. <laughs> he just, mm-hmm. He's just doing whatever because he does. He does not care about the final product. But I think he's so he's so talented and maybe so relaxed when he's working because he he knows he has so much influence that it comes across very well in his performances. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of actors who are, who have unique acting methods though, let's talk about Val Kilmer in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Did you know Val Kilmer was a complete asshole before I, the, watching the documentary? I surprisingly <laughs> did not. Uh, I am not, I don't know if I'm surprised to learn that. Like, I didn't know he was, I didn't know he was that bad on set. And then I watched the Richard Stanley documentary before I rewatched the Val Kilmer documentary. And the Val Kilmer documentary does everything but confirm that he was the as much of an asshole on set as it says. Yeah. Like he doesn't he doesn't refute it. He just says he he says he was going through some stuff at that time and uh that that really sucks. It, he also never refutes that he made it everyone else's problem and was a bit of a diva on set, which yeah. sounds awful. Like, it sounds like he was awful to work with on this movie specifically. I'll refrain from expanding that out to every other movie. But this sounds like being around Val Kilmer on set would have been the worst experience. Yeah, it's, um, I liked him in the movie. Because I think him being a dick actually worked well for the character, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the behind the scenes, it's like, I'd say Marlon Brando is kind of like, just like insane in like a, a fun way. But Val Kilmer specifically seemed like he wanted to hurt people um, as much as possible. And uh, his behavior on set is a little disappointing to hear, even though I think it's hilarious uh when you align his acting process or you you kind of look at the rivalry between him and marlon brando um because apparently they hated each other and um and i think it was what val kilmer wouldn't leave his trailer until marlon brando left his trailer left his trailer um and marlon brando just wouldn't leave his trailer or something or marlon brando wouldn't leave his trailer until val kilmer left his trailer yeah um which is, I think they literally spoofed that in Community of, uh, there's an episode where they do literally that. And I can't believe that was actually, like, based on, <laughs> on a real life thing, which is hilarious to me. I think, like, what I would say, so, apparently, and his own documentary confirms this, Val Kilmer is an intense perfectionist. And Marlon Brando doesn't have a documentary narrated by himself to confirm or deny, but it sounds like Marlon Brando does not care at all. 
And, yeah. you know, and he's just insanely talented as a performer. But I guess what I would say here is like Val Kilmer not getting his way and being a dick to everybody ended up with a good performance. Marlon Brando ended up with an unforgettable performance after being a huge dick on set. Like when I think back on the Island of Dr. Moreau, I will remember that Val Kilmer was in this, but the performance, I'm, the only performance I'm going to really remember is Marlon Brando and maybe Feruza Balk, but like really only Marlon Brando because his performance is so freaking weird and like unforgettable that it kind of works. Yeah, well, I'd say Val Kilmer's impression of Marlon Brando at the end of the movie is also kind of takes the cake as yeah, being that extremely was weird. <laughs> at that also, point, I was just like, "This this movie's awesome!" Like, I I kind of love it because this is like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I loved Val Kilmer's impression of Marlon Brando at the end too, because for one thing, it is maybe the angriest that I've ever seen a person on on camera who was like his he was clearly angry not his character his character was whatever val kilmer was furious yeah. but then also like to me the voice he was doing was exactly like marlon brando in maybe the godfather but specifically apocalypse now nothing like marlon brando in the island of dr moreau which was so weird to me i'm like that voice that he's doing isn't even from this movie yeah i don't know it's it just it, it's it was so unhinged. It felt like kind of a room moment. The or is it room or the room? I think it's the room. The room. Yeah, yeah. where it's just like at that point the movie was just like like Marlon Brando's gone. Like all shots are all like anyone can do whatever they want now. Like I don't know. I, I thought it was really funny. Um, but yeah, and I think I think well Val Kilmer is probably a huge reason why Richard Stanley ended up. Um, losing his job too because it sounds like val kilmer's you know aggressive assertion over richard stanley might have caused them to really become insecure and like retreat from all the pressure of being on set so mm. that's that you know that's really unfortunate and um from what i can tell uh marlon brando wasn't being mean to anyone directly i guess so and, Marlon Brando seems like he just wouldn't be around anybody. He like yeah. wanted everyone to cater to him, but he wasn't going out of his way to be mean to people. He was yeah. just not ignoring everyone's existence. Yeah. More or less. Um, but I also like, in hindsight, I think some of the stories about Val Kilmer is hilarious. Like the, like the trailer thing. Cause I just, it's just funny that Marlon Brando probably just didn't really care much about Val Kilmer, but he just hated him or not hated him, but I don't want to say it. It's just like, I think Val Kilmer, like you said, being a perfectionist really pissed off Marlon Brando, maybe. But the thing is, is like Marlon Brando, like you said, is like Val Kilmer doesn't have too many amazing roles. You know, he's never been like, like a huge actor, if that makes sense, despite his perfectionism, I guess. Whereas For, uh, Marlon Brando oh, yeah, just kind of does whatever he wants. And it's like he's getting he's getting he's getting what Val Kilmer wants. Uh, which is the you know the the glory of being one of the best actors of all time, while also just obviously not caring about it at all, <laughs> which probably pissed Val Kilmer off. Well, and also from from Val Kilmer's documentary about himself, Val Kilmer idolized Marlon Brando. Like he's one of his favorite actors, and he specifically loves like not just his acting roles that he's gotten, but his acting method too. And so he like 
I don't want to fully say that he based his uh, way of acting on Marlon Brando, but it was certainly, but Marlon Brando is certainly a huge influence on him, not just for his roles, but for how Mm. he approaches being an actor. And there are um, most of Val Kilmer's, most of his documentary footage is like home movies that he would make because he had, he just like, sounds like he was constantly rolling the camera somewhere. And he's got one movie, one video of him, like, uh, not sneaking up, but like finding Marlon Brando on or at, on set after after shooting and wrapped for the day, and like finding him and being like, "Oh shit, I got a moment with Marlon Brando." All right, sick. I'm gonna ask him some questions, and like, I don't know what Marlon Brando. Like, I don't know if there would have been a good time to ask Marlon Brando questions, but Val Kilmer seems very annoying in this video. He like goes yeah. up to Marlon Brando on the uh, on on his um, hammock. And Marlon Brando looks at him and goes, oh, hello. Can you give me a push? And he goes, what's your earliest childhood memory? <laughs> and he's like, give, give me a push. And it's like, do you remember anything from before you could speak? And it's like, clearly Marlon Brando doesn't want to answer questions right now. He wants a swing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all he wanted. Yeah, and, I don't, I, that's, a, that's definitely a don't meet your heroes moment, I think, with Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I could see why that would, that would really turn him off. But I mean, even before Marlon Brando was on set, it sounds like he was being a dick. I, I like the story about, I think he walked, he talked to one of the actors. I think it was the guy who played the assistant, um, to, to, uh, Dr. Moreau. Um, and I think apparently they had a conversation where Val Kilmer was like, like, yeah, you're a great actor or something, but he's like, and then he ended the conversation as with, but you'll never be me or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, which is just such a weird, like, flex. You know, like, yeah. he was like, you're, he's basically trying to say, like, you're good, but you'll never be as great as me. You know? I wish I, I wish that Marco Hofschneider, that's the person you're talking about. I wish he had a bigger role in the movie so we could talk about him more. But, like, his role in the movie is very nothing. Like, he's there, yeah. but, like, that's about it. But in the documentary, he's so funny because he talks about how his role was initially one of the meatiest roles in the movie. And then, like, he got to set. He started getting ready for his uh, for his role. And Val Kilmer comes up to him and is like, hey, you're, uh, you're pretty good, but I'm hot shit and you're not. Yeah. And then, like, this little guy who's never acted before, Nelson De La Rosa, this little... Uh, this little Dominican man, the smallest man alive, started becoming and it became Marlon Brando's favorite and took over Marco Hofschneider's role in the movie. Like Marco Hofschneider has the same character that he had, but his character yeah. is supposed to be he's supposed to be Moreau's favorite. And all of a sudden Moreau's favorite is this very tiny guy that Marlon Brando just like bonded with out of nowhere. Who, yeah, it sounds like was this twenty-seven-year-old shitlord that was just like partying all the time. Yeah, I think that's so. Like, it's it's kind of funny how like Val Kilmer was actually kind of right. <laughs> like, he was like because again, like he just kind of got replaced in his role. But you know, I think he, he seemed very good spirited about it, and like in the documentary, like he dished a lot of the tea. So. I, I really I got a lot of respect for him. He he seemed to take it like in stride, you know. I guess it happened like twenty 
yeah, 20 years ago at the time the documentary was made. So it's probably moved on, but like, it's, yeah. it's just so funny. Um, and then what, what's another Val Kilmer? The, I think when Richard Stanley was telling him like how they were going to shoot the scene and Val Kilmer was just like, that's not going to work. Like just straight up. And he refused to do the scene or something because <laughs> oh, he was just like, you're no, not. That was, that was another Marco Hofschneider thing. Cause Marco Hofschneider is supposed to open the movie by quoting the Tempest and like setting up the, like dramatically setting up the movie. And Val yeah. Kilmer is like, yeah, I don't know. He's kind of a minor character. Like, why don't I start the movie instead? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's messed up. I don't know, dude. Like, but again, he gets away with it. That's the thing. It's like, ugh, I don't know. But anyways, yeah, Val Kilmer is kind of kind of not a nice person, and um, I I can see why. Uh, there's after reading his Wikipedia pages, it doesn't sound like this was the only movie. So I, I don't want to just blame the movie set and everything, um, for his attitude, but. Yeah. I mean, I'll this is the last I'll say about Val Kilmer specifically for for this part. Maybe we'll come back to him, but like I want to say that uh his documentary from last year, even though it is very sweet and gives a very like interesting look into the mind of Val Kilmer, it doesn't make him look better in regards no. to his very public <laughs> Uh, in, in regards to his, like, actually very public, like, issues on various sets and being supposedly hard to work with. Yeah. It makes an effort to say, no, he's not hard to work with. He just cares a lot. But, like, it doesn't it doesn't get any opinions other than Val's, which... Yeah. It's a little... I don't know. Might be biased? That's not a, I don't know. That's not important for that documentary because that's not the point of that documentary. Of course, but it yeah. is important if you want to refute the idea that you're hard to work with, I would say. Yeah. To get other opinions. Yeah. Um, yeah, moving on. I guess, well, I, I, there's two directors. I want to talk about them. I, we talked a lot about Richard Stanley, so I don't want to touch on him too long, but I think the whole tale of him being banned from set and then apparently setting up like witchcraft stuff around set to to curse the curse the production as well as camping like a few few miles away and being found just in the woods like and then being brought back to set then disguising himself as a dog man and then being the only person to wear their entire dog man outfit all day because he didn't want to get caught is i think so so funny too like i, I can't believe how ridiculous that story is it's almost a better story than the movie it is it actually it actually is by a far. better story like, yeah. i can't believe a movie has not been made about this movie like it's it's so funny but i think you wanted to talk about john frankenheimer is that Him is too. that true yes i i i think it's so fun that they brought in a director I mean, because it sounds like no one wanted to work on this movie for obvious reasons. So, especially not John Frankenheimer. Yeah, he made that very clear. Where, and I think the studio knew he made it clear because I think he was very open about he only wanted to make the movie so he could get. Then, then you want to get like a, a deal for a second movie, basically. Um, Maybe after his next movie after the Island of Doctor Moreau was Ronin, which is very well reviewed. So. Yeah. Potentially, he was doing this so he could do Ronan. Yeah. Well, was it just... I don't know if it was made by the same... Well, anyways, he, he struck a deal or something. He was paid a lot of money. I don't know. Um, but I, I think the tale of 
like even the director hated this movie and was only there so he could get paid and also hated his stars i think is so funny too because um i mean obviously he he was not gonna get along with val kilmer and marlon brando but um he uh i they basically brought in a third i don't know if he was a diva director but he sounded like kind of a hard ass where he would i think in the documentary they were saying he was one of the last one of the last generation of like directors that would just scream all the time yeah and just be very rude to to crew like for example he'd be like <laughs> instead of like can you shoot can you can you get the shot from that angle he's just like you better get this you better get this take or something like that and stuff like that so um i think it was just adding john frankenheimer into this and replacing richard stanley just created the perfect storm of of divaness on set if that makes sense it sounds like um it sounds like the three biggest personalities on set were val kilmer marlon brando and john frankenheimer each of which was unprofessional in their own special unique way like marlon brando came to set didn't do anything or like didn't want to do anything tried to get out of as much stuff as he could Val Kilmer came to set and bullied everyone. And John Frankenheimer came to set and yelled at everyone, which is just not how directors do things in 1996 anymore. But he did. And like, he came to set, he didn't really know, I I don't know if he knew the source material, but he didn't seem interested in the script at all. Did some rewrites, brought his own writer to like come in and do consistent rewrites on set, which I believe is actually a normal thing. But like, had his writer basically unwriting all the stuff at the, in real time mm-hmm. and uh, also brought in David Thewlis. This is where David Thewlis comes in because mm-hmm. David Thewlis was brought in after John Frankenheimer was in because John Frankenheimer, uh, Rob Morrow, who was apparently the original role that David Thewlis took over, he quit after the script kept getting rewritten. Which is fair, I <laughs> Yeah. I, I I think David Thewlis, I don't know, I always like him. I don't know if he was great a fit for the role. Um, I feel like David Thewlis just always had this like very old face. I don't know how to say it. And I just I think it would have worked if you had more of a an un like a younger looking innocent person be brought to this island of madness, you know. Whereas David Thewlis, I don't know, it's just like I don't want to be mean, but like the way he looks just feels like he he would belong on the island, if that makes sense. And the way he acts, you know, he acts kind of insane from the start. Yeah, I think I, I don't know if I would phrase it the same way as you did, but like, I think I would mostly agree where I've actually loved David Thewlis and everything I've seen him in, but everything I've seen him in, yeah, everything I've seen him in, he's playing someone who is at least, who like the character doesn't make sense if they're younger than 38. Yeah. Where like the character here, it's not bad if he were older, but like it would make a lot more sense if he was like 24 or 25. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But again, it's not, I, I don't think David Thewlis was in any way the, the problem with this movie. But uh, yeah, he definitely seems like, I, I can't imagine him having to act with, because he basically had to go between he's probably being told different things by Val Kilmer uh uh John John Frankenberger and Marlon Brando because he was in scenes with all of them at various times right mm-hmm. so um it, it, it was probably quite 
an interesting experience for him. And it was probably very confusing as an actor. Yeah, he seems... uh, The few behind-the-scenes movies that Val Kilmer got for his documentary make make David Thewlis seem like he was there because he'd been hired for an acting job. Which is... (laughs) Just wanted to (laughs) Which is remarkably uncommon for people on this movie specifically. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's... uh like it's it's really i mean i i feel like a lot of the people like the extras too it sounded like the because i thought the 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 costume design stuff i thought the animal people actually looked pretty good i was surprised um obviously like it was the 90s so like it was very off-putting and like i think it would have worked better i think you could make a movie like this a lot better now um with current like cgi and costuming because i mean they did it in guardians of the galaxy and mm-hmm. I thought it worked. I thought it was pretty well done, but like uh, everyone else seemed like they they generally just wanted to make a good movie, you know, like mm-hmm. the extras, the production crew, and it sounds like they had a great time. Like, don't get me wrong, because again, it seems like it was kind of a fifth a coin toss whether they were going to have to work that day or not um, throughout the entire production. But like, uh, it's unfortunate that despite them having fun, it sounds like they all wanted to make a good movie and were just hindered back by a lot of people that did not want to make the movie. Yeah. I think maybe the, like the person who I feel the worst for coming out of that documentary is Firuza Balk, who is pretty, pretty good in this movie. She's the main female lead and she's, she's fine. Like I can tell that she wants to put in a good performance and it's not been, and, and she's doing that. She just has a relatively small role and is acting alongside Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer, who are huge at the time and certainly seem to be incredibly huge personalities. So like she just kind of, and in the documentary too, you just sort of see her lose hope in the production just a little bit more every time she has to talk about it until the point where her agent literally tells her, if you leave, you're going to be sued out of your, out of all your money and you're never going to work again. So you have yeah. to finish this. And at the very end, she's like, and now it's one of the, now it's considered one of the worst movies of all time, which <laughs> I mean, that's not great to have on your resume, but what are you going to do? Well, it's better than having only mediocre movies, I guess. Like at least she'll be remembered in that way. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, and I, I think a lot of the, the production had, it sounds like, at least in the documentary, it sounds like a lot of them, I mean, it's called like the the Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Moreau. So maybe the they're all like you know biased towards Richard Stanley, but um, it sounds like they all had a director that they were hired by that they wanted to work with, and um, it's, it's kind of sad that he got ejected so quickly and um, wasn't given a chance. But also, like I can't really blame the studio because from what it sounds like he he wouldn't have been able to finish the movie and it yeah, was a big financial I mean, risk yeah i think the one person at the end of the documentary says really well like if this was a um if richard stanley had been able to make a low budget horror movie the way that he had no with like his original script and his original vision for the movie and just like Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer had never gotten anywhere close to this movie, then it would probably be 
the final result would probably be a lot closer to what he wanted and it would probably be better. Of course, you know, I don't think, I don't think that, uh, I mean, Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer are going to inflate the budget of the movie by an insane amount right out the door. And as soon as you get budgets that big, like, I'm not going to say this movie was all studio interference. I agree that I think that the scale that this movie was at, Richard Stanley probably couldn't have finished it. But a big part of the reason it was at that scale in the first place was someone Mm. having the bright idea to have Marlon Brando in this movie, which wasn't not the studio. Like someone, the, the person who had that idea, you know, New Line signed off on it and said, let's do it. Yeah, I... Well, it sounds like New Line was kind of a a very up-and-coming studio that wanted to take some big swings. So I can see why, you know, them even getting the chance to work with Marlon Brando, they would, like, do anything for that, right? Um, so I understand it, but, yeah, like you said, it's um, it's unfortunate that it sounds like Richard Stanley had a passion project that he would have been totally fine making a small movie out of that would have made money and would have been... I don't know if it would have been amazing or not, but like it, it wouldn't have bombed so hard and it would have been a lot more of his vision and the attention he got uh, from the higher ups kind of made him get lost in the process, um, which I it's like, it's definitely happened before. I mean, we see it all the time, but uh, I guess this is a very, this feels like a unique case because of how, um, I mean, just how weird the movie is, I guess. Um, you know, so it's uh, it's unfortunate and it's kind of a, it's a good tale of, you know, when you're make for up and coming directors to really, because I'd say directing, we've seen that with like Christopher Nolan, I'd say he's an amazing director, but he's also an insanely good business person, businessman, because he will work with the studios to make sure he gets what he wants, but he'll also deliver what the studio wants. So everyone's happy, you know? Um, and that's how he was able, he's now, that's how now he's able to basically do whatever he wants because he has a very trusted relationship with the studio. Whereas, so you, you know, and someone, when you're a small filmmaker, you do kind of have to make compromises and you have to learn how to navigate negotiations and stuff to kind of get to that next level, I think, or else you're just kind of going to, get lost in it, which I think is what happened to Richard Stanley. Yeah. And I think that the Island of Dr. Moreau, like, I think that this movie, like this movie and the behind the scenes of this movie to me showed sort of showed me that it doesn't take that many bad decisions to completely derail a movie because by the end, like a lot of bad decisions had been made. But frankly, if someone had, if no one had ever floated the idea of potentially getting Marlon Brando, then I don't think that half of those problems would have happened. I think that like, (laughs) you know, the, the fact, the fact that uh, Marco Hopschneider didn't have anything to do wasn't entirely Marlon Brando's fault, but like choices that happened because Marlon Brando, like because someone had decided that Marlon Brando is the star of this movie. Yeah. Ended up snowballing out and affecting everything else. And I think that it only takes like one or two of those. Like if Marlon Brando wasn't in this movie and Val Kilmer wasn't in this movie, Richard Stanley would have been on the movie for the whole time. Yeah. There are other bad decisions and I'm not sure that those are the two that I'd isolate, but like 
even those are just don't seem like that big of they are big of decisions but they don't seem like they should affect as much as they actually do and i would say that those you know just those two decisions by themselves ended up having would have had the power to completely derail the production and the only reason i don't say they did have the power to completely derail the production is because i think that like i don't think val kilmer right away was the mistake i think there was a different mistake before val kilmer yeah well yeah i don't know i i think when you're directing you you do need to keep in mind that especially like like a part of the skill of a director is to work with the actors right mm-hmm. um and in this case richard stanley just sounds like he was very put off by val kilmer and couldn't get him in check yeah. uh which I, I i i'm not saying that should be his job but in this case it kind of had to be because of the unfortunate circumstances of hiring val kilmer in the first place yeah, I I, I want to clarify that what I was saying specifically was by hiring Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando, the budget was so inflated that in my mind, there's no way that New Line could like let him do his thing. They had yeah. to interfere more. That's yeah. sort of what I'm trying to say. Like, oh, okay, that's yeah. why I don't say that Val Kilmer is himself a mistake, because if Val Kilmer and Richard <laughs> Stanley don't work well together, that's on them to deal with. Like, yeah. that sucks, but they do have to deal with that. Yeah. That's not... Um, yeah. But the budget is also oddly enough why the movie was finished in the first place is because it was such a big budget that they couldn't just write it off and cancel the movie even though the production was so chaotic. Yeah. Um, they really had to drag that through the finish line so they could make any money back, which is kind of, so it's kind of funny how like who who knows maybe in the end Richard Stanley never would have finished the movie anyways if it yeah. was a smaller budget. Who knows? We'll never know. To be fair, it I don't think like he's... It may have made its money back. Its budget was $40 million, The box office was $50 million, And the reason I say it may have made its money back is because it immediately got a reputation and then it came out on VHS and DVD. So yeah. it may have eventually made its money back in home releases. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, back in the day when you didn't have to break even on, on in the box office. Good times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we didn't talk about the movie much, but I honestly don't really want to. Like, the movie I think that the behind that the scenes of the movie is way more interesting. Yeah. I like before we wrap up here, and I do think that we should work towards wrapping up. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give quick thoughts on the movie? Yeah i I think the the premise is interesting. You know, like it's it's definitely quite like I mean, literally, like they do. I keep comparing with Guardians of the Galaxy. It's unfortunate that I watched Guardians before this, which maybe I think the Alan Doctor Moreau would be better if I didn't. But like, I like, I do really like that idea of like someone feeling compelled to be a god and having and creating beings just to, uh, you know, be a god too, if that makes sense, and then rebelling. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting take. Um, I kind of wish Guardians focused on it maybe more in some ways, and in this movie, that's the whole premise. Um, but also I think that's to its detriment because there's just no, I think other than the premise, it's really tough to find a soul to this movie because all the characters are just so insane Yeah, in the movie, at least, you know? So I, I think that's kind of what it comes down to is that it's just, the movie is pure chaos. There's no heart to it, but I will say, I don't think it's a terrible movie because I mean, it's terrible, like objectively, like quote unquote, objectively, you know, it's just so insane, but it is an extremely memorable movie 
and I am not going to forget it <laughs> like ever because it's kind of like the room where it's just like like I can't believe this was a movie in a, in a lot of ways you know mm -hmm. just when you were saying that the thing that jumps out at me most that I like think is really interesting very early on Richard Stanley says that the island of Dr. Moreau the actual story halfway through is about where the beast men take over the island and like overthrow Dr. Moreau and that's usually where most of the movies end including more or less this one that we watched but what's really interesting about that is that's also where uh that's also where guardians of the galaxy 3 ends the beast men overthrowing the high evolutionary is the end of guardians of the galaxy 3 like if guardians of the galaxy 3 obviously isn't isn't a full adaptation of the island of dr moreau necessarily but the parallels also stop right there. Like it doesn't take the rest of the story either, which again, that movie doesn't yeah. have to, but I think it's, it's interesting, interesting that that's still where it stops. It's like he based, he based it on this movie instead of the, the book, which is kind of funny considering the movie is terrible. Um, yeah. Yeah. But no, um, yeah, I have a quote. He literally says that the high evolutionary is like directly inspired by, uh, Dr. Moreau and he, he sees it as he's like a space Dr. Moreau is what he says so it's kind of cool yeah it, it makes sense so like when you were saying it I wouldn't doubt it for a second I just didn't know the quote yeah no I, I, I didn't even know the quote I just looked it up I thought that was cool but yeah other than that I didn't like this movie that much but like you said it's very memorable like I'm never going to forget Marlon Brando's performance in this I'm likely to at least remember that i watched the rest i think feruza balk is great in this even though she has nothing to do which is wild like it's wild that she is as good as she is considering her character has nothing to do in this yeah. movie um and other than that the main thing that i remember one person we didn't talk about and there's not that much to talk about so this isn't going to turn into a whole this isn't going to spin into a whole conversation i don't think I thought Ron Perlman was really good in this movie. He didn't do that much, but like he has actually the main character arc in this movie because he's the one who incites Beastman Rebe Rebellion. And my favorite scene in this movie is where Ron Perlman and his dog boys go to Dr. Moreau and actually kill Dr. Moreau. It's where they overthrow Dr. Moreau. And like Dr. Moreau is quoting scripture at them and Ron Perlman is quoting scripture back, but corrupted. And like yeah. it has on the page, I imagine that if I could see just the script of that, which maybe I can, because I would imagine that's probably taken as close as possible or as directly as possible from the book on the page that is such a cool conversation. And on the screen, they are in two separate movies. Like Marlon Brando is talking to someone who is not there. And Ron Perlman is desperately trying to talk to Marlon Brando. And neither of them is succeeding at it. Which is, I think it's the best scene in the movie. And I yeah, think I that agree. both of them are amazing performances. It's just so weird how their amazing performances doing two entirely different things in the same room as each other. Yeah, I I that that scene where, where Dr. Moreau dies is actually like kind of haunting in mm -hmm. a weird way. I actually thought that scene was pretty well done, yeah. But yeah, uh, there's definitely ways they could have, you know, made those scenes better. 
other than that, the only note that I wrote down, I put, I took like my notepad and prepared to write a full page of notes for this movie. And the mm-hmm. only thing I wrote down was Man Cheetah, who I have uh, looked looked up. It turns out that was Mark Dacascus. So good oh. on you, Mark Dacascus. You were a Man Cheetah. I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't. I don't know what to do with that. I just that's what I wrote. So he's there, and he's a Man Cheetah. I just. I think the whole movie can be summed up by you saying Ron Perlin and his man dogs <laughs> kill Dr. Moreau. <laughs> like, I didn't say man dogs. I said dog boys. Dog boys. <laughs> like, just that. See, that premise is enough to like get me to watch any movie. So, you know, there, there's something there. And I'd love to see a remake of... Ah, Actually, I don't even know. Because, again, I think Guardians just did, did this, but, like, way better. So, I, mean, I don't even know if I could, like if a, a remake would be something i'd be interested in right now at least i think it's a good story and i'm always ha- and i love seeing people put their own spin on good stories and i think that that's what guardians of the galaxy 3 is it's dr moreau in space and i liked it and i liked the dr moreau in space aspect especially looking back on it now yeah you know if someone else feels the need to make another dr moreau movie watching the documentary I am very interested in what Richard Stanley's vision for this would have resulted in had he been able to realize it. He was not. If someone else has a really interesting idea for this movie that they want to make, Mm -hmm. I hope they get the opportunity to do it because as Richard Stanley said, H.G. Wells, if he were alive today, would not have set the movie in 1895. And if someone wants to do just a straight adaptation of the book, I think that's boring. Like I, if someone has a cool idea for it and is passionate about it, I hope they get to make it. Cause I'd like to see that. I think it's yeah. a solid story. Yeah. Well, I pray for the next person to adapt this movie. Cause I, okay. Part of me is like, it can't get worse, but I'm also like, if it's just mediocre, then it's also like, way that's worse actually because, worse. Yeah. Because this movie is still going to be remembered more either way. <laughs> if, if it's mediocre, so it just has to be really good yeah Um, so we'll see i don't know so i'm gonna end this by saying i think that uh it's i've been keeping it in my head i don't have it written down anywhere but we have a hall of shame on this uh on this (laughs) podcast and despite him being two excellent performances i think we should put marlon brando in there to encourage us to watch one of the performances he's actually famous for like not famous for the behind the scenes stuff, famous for actually giving a good performance. Yeah, I mean, if if anyone deserves a spot anywhere, it's Marlon Brando. <laughs> like he yeah. belongs on a lot of lists. Yeah, so I think that some sometime, probably sooner rather than later, we should actually watch a streetcar named Desire or On the Waterfront or something mm. with him in it. Yeah, because. Yeah. I want to see I want to see not just a great Marlon Brando performance cuz I've seen two of those but these are two Marlon Brando performances that were great despite him not caring. I want to see one where he actually pretended to care Which at is least. All, yeah. I get that, yeah. I mean there's a reason he got to the place where he didn't have to care in the first place, right? So. Yeah. So I think that's cool. So uh Pierre, what's our last word? Oh, wait, we didn't rate the movie. Do you want to? Actually, I can't rate the movie. I take it back. I, I think that it's not worth rating the movie because, like, if you know what the movie is, you know it's bad. Like, 
I think it's worth watching because of everything around the movie. More than anything, I would rate the documentary about this movie as a solid like eight out of 10. I think it's, I think the documentary is very worth watching. And I think that the movie, you have to watch both. Like you can't just watch the documentary and not have seen the movie. Yeah. But like, I don't think the movie is that much worth watching on its own without the extra context. I think that this is really a case of, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. And it's way funnier to learn about the behind the scenes of this Mm. movie than to just watch the movie. Yeah. That's why I'd say like, if you're going to watch this, definitely watch Lost Souls first, in my opinion, because the context makes the movie watchable and really fun, in my opinion. So, yeah. Cool. So, What's our last word, Pierre? <laughs> Dog boy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>